Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for March the 20th. I'm your host, Paul White. We are in the 39th chapter of the book of Genesis. We are now back in the Joseph story. There was a parenthetical story that split up the Joseph narrative. Genesis 38 was the story of Judah and Tamar, a story that obviously encompassed generations. And I'm not going to go back through why that is. The last several podcasts have dealt with that in detail. And now Genesis 39, as if 38 never existed, goes right back to the narrative where the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar at the end of 37. 39 begins, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And so you can see how there's really just a brief verse of transitioning us back to the narrative of 37. Then verse 2 really lays out the case for why things are about to go the way they are about to go. Because we can do all kinds of explaining in life, like so-and-so was born into this, and that's why he has the privilege he has, the opportunity he has. We're not wrong, but but we can identify that in everything. We can use it as an excuse. We can use it as an explanation. But and we may not be able to get to the bottom of it. We might say, well, it's you know, it's un, we don't know why this individual was able to do this, or this person, and with all of their handicaps and circumstances, were able to do that. The Bible doesn't try. It doesn't try to say, um, you know, Joseph was in the right place at the right time. He got lucky. This should have destroyed him, but it didn't. Instead, it gives us the, the key, really the hermeneutical key to everything that we experience as children of God. And that's in verse 2 of Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And then three adds sort of a human element to it, because that second verse is all about the Lord, Jehovah. Covenant God was with Joseph. But then verse three, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So verse two, God is with Joseph. The covenant God is with Joseph and that makes him successful. Verse three, the master could see that God was with Joseph, making Joseph successful, meaning he didn't get confused and say, oh, well, Joseph's good because he's strong. Joseph's good because he's handsome. Joseph's good because he's rich. No, he said, oh, look, God is with Joseph. Then verse four is the, the end result of these two revelations. Revelation one, God is with Joseph. Revelation two, the master knows that God's with Joseph. Here's the end result. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. And I I, want to really hone in on these little points of revelation for today's podcast because there's some other things I want to point out and we'll do them on their own. Sometimes I see multiple things and I get tempted to squeeze them all into a little podcast. And I think, why would we do that? You could give three or four more minutes on that on its own. So we'll do that in the whole serving passage of verse 4. So for today, really hone in on this idea. If the covenant God was with Joseph and that made Joseph a successful man, 
then the covenant God is with you and shouldn't by that metric your success be a result of the covenant God. This makes it to where your success is not a result simply of you doing the right thing. I don't want to take away from you doing the right thing. Listen, you bring your glory to the table. Something I saw recently that I had never seen before is that at the end of the book of Revelation, when the kings of the earth are invited to enter the new Jerusalem, the Bible says, and they brought the glory of their nations in with them, which tells me that God's end game is not to just wipe everything out and make everyone do it his way. God's end game is to take what is what needs to be burned up and burn it up. And I'm talking about in us, but accept of us what is good and beautiful and talented and worthy. And you bring a lot of that to the table. So I don't think, I think sometimes we think it's hyper spiritual to say, Oh, well, you have no skills, no ability, no intelligence. Everything is all because of God. But I actually think sometimes that's false humility. We know we have talent and ability. But the difference is we don't trust the talent and the ability. We know the talent and the ability can take you only so far, but talent and ability can be co-opted by the snake It can be used by the enemy. You can bow down in front of him to inherit the nations of the earth, put your talent and ability with his. That's really what Satan is offering Jesus in the wilderness. Hey, why don't you bow knee to me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth? Look, you bring what you have to the table. I like what what Robert Capon says. He says that it was essentially the devil saying to Jesus, I'll bring what I have to the table. You bring what you have to the table. Together, you and I could change the world. And that's the temptation of using our gifts and trusting it. They're not bad, but we don't bow to the powers of this age. Rather, we accept that all that is good is because we have the favor of God. That leads to his master saw that the Lord was with him. So, I'm believing that if you'll allow the favor of God to shape you, you will not become dependent on your ability or bemoan what you don't have. And instead, you'll receive his favor and those around you will recognize that as the favor of God. So I want to take it tomorrow into Joseph's practical usage of that favor in the house of Potiphar and then our practical usage of that as well. We'll do that together. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.